Thanks for joining us as we explore the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. For discussion guides and details about how to join us on Sundays, please visit fairoaks.org. Morning, Fair Oaks. I'm excited to have the opportunity to continue on with you all in our Mark series. Today we're going to be concluding Mark chapter 10, and actually this is going to be our last message on the book of Mark this year. So I hope it's been encouraging for you and you've been able to see Christ in a greater light as we've carefully followed his ministry together over the past five months. Well, Lord willing, we will be finishing up this book sometime starting in the new year. But before we jump into our text this morning, I believe it'll be helpful for us to understand our text if we look backwards first through the Gospel of Mark and recall some of the significant truths that we've seen and learned together over the past five months. So let's briefly recap some of those previous chapters together, starting in Mark chapter 8. Do you guys remember after the feeding of the 4,000, and this is the second miraculous feeding that the disciples witnessed, I have to add, Jesus warns the disciples of the leaven of the Pharisees. Jesus was illustrating a sobering warning to his disciples of the self-centered and self-reliant attitudes that these religious leaders carried with them. And what was the response of his disciples? Do you guys remember? (laughs) Yeah, they got no bread. They totally missed the point, right? Look at Mark 8, verses 16 through 21. It says, They began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? In other words, Jesus is saying, Guys, this whole time I've been with you, you've seen me exercise my authority over sickness, over demons. I performed so many miracles. I've walked on water. I fed the 5,000, the 4,000. Are you still not seeing? Do you still not recognize that I am the Messiah? In response to the disciples' spiritual blindness, Jesus then goes on to heal the blind man at Bethsaida. This healing was unique and significant because it's the only healing recorded in uh, the Gospel of Mark that Jesus did in two parts. And this partial healing is significant because... It shows us that Jesus was teaching his disciples they truly had not yet seen or fully understood that he was the Messiah, the one who will become the suffering servant who takes on the sins of the world. So after fully healing this blind man of Bethsaida, Jesus then asked his disciples in verse 29 of chapter 8, who do you say that I am? Peter responds with, you are the Christ. You see, even though Peter had finally started to kind of gain this spiritual insight that Jesus was the Messiah, he was still like the blind man at Bethsaida who had only partial vision restored to him at first. The disciples still had a distorted and unclear vision and understanding of who Jesus really was. 
They did not understand that the Messiah would not come as a conqueror of Rome, but that he, according to verse 31 of chapter 8, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And how do we know that they lacked this complete understanding? You guys remember what Peter's response was after Jesus tells him that he must suffer in this way? What did Peter do? He rebuked him. This is how we know the disciples did not yet fully see or understand that the Messiah had come as the suffering servant who would give his life as a ransom for many. They could not understand that Christ came to die for their sins. Well, in chapter 9, the narrative kicks off with the transfiguration. And here Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up on a high mountain where Jesus reveals to them his true glory, giving them yet another, even clearer vision of himself. Well, Jesus will continue to reveal to his disciples two more times that he must die and that three days later he would rise again from the dead. He does this for the second time in chapter 9 after the transfiguration in verse 31. Where we see again the disciples' response was they did not understand what he was saying and they were afraid to ask him. And so then the third time finally in uh, chapter 10 verses 33 through 34, slowly like the blind man in chapter 8, the disciples' eyes were being opened as Jesus continued to reveal to them his mission for being here on this earth by teaching them that true greatness comes from servanthood. The first will be last, and the last will be first. Well, we now come to the end of Mark chapter 10, and as we're going to see in a bit, it rings a similar bell to the previous miracle Jesus performed over the blind man in Bethsaida in Mark chapter 8. So it's probably no surprise to you that our story today entails yet another blind man being healed. This will be the last healing that is recorded in Mark's gospel And it will act as a type of bookend between Mark chapters 8 and 10. This time, we're going to focus on a very specific blind beggar with incredible and unexpected spiritual insight, whose name was Bartimaeus. So the title of my message today is Truly Seeing Jesus. It is my prayer that as we look at God's word together, he would help us to do just that. So if you have your Bibles, uh, would you please turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to be starting in verse 46. And as we get ready to read God's word together, would you first please pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the testimony of your son Jesus that we have recorded, written down for our encouragement to draw us to himself. Lord, you have said that your word is what, um, the gospel is what is going to call people to repentance, that um, it's the power of your word that saves. And so we ask today that through, not through me, but through your word being read and proclaimed, that you would do just that, that you would awaken hearts that might be here today that are dead to responding to the gospel, that today um, your spirit would awaken them, that they would be drawn to you in a way that they cannot resist, that they would come to you. Lord, I pray that this message would be an encouragement for those who follow your son Jesus, that um, we we would look at 
his example of humility and compassion to this blind man and that it would encourage us to follow him. Help us to have our eyes fixed on him as we look to your word today. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's begin reading Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Everybody there? All right. And when they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. All that we've recapped so far is going to really begin to crescendo in this section of Mark. So first, we need to recognize why Jesus and his disciples came to Jericho and why there was a great crowd with them. Jericho was a very important stop before making the one day's journey, a 3,500 foot climb into the city of Jerusalem. This oasis in a desert gave many travelers the opportunity to refuel, to rehydrate and prepare for the ascent into the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is with his disciples and most likely many pilgrims are traveling with them, hence the great crowd that we see in verse 46. And this is because they are on their way to celebrate Passover together, which was to be celebrated in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus' foretelling of giving up his life, the very message his disciples could not see or understand, was soon going to be unraveling before their very eyes once they entered Jerusalem. He was going to soon become the Passover lamb who would be slain for the sins of the world. But even on the way to their destination, Jesus will model the very servant leadership he had just told his disciples about and the verses we looked at last week prior to verse 46. The last will become first. Jericho was not the focal point for Jesus or his disciples. Jerusalem was. And we can see that in verse 46. It says, they came and as they were going or as they were leaving, Jericho was the means to an end for these Passover pilgrims. Because of the important role Jericho played in the travel of Jerusalem, the roads would be lined by beggars and those considered least in the society. This was their annual opportunity to be in front of thousands of people in hopes that someone might stop and show them compassion. This is where our blind beggar Bartimaeus finds himself, sitting by the roadside begging. Now, what is so special about this man, Bartimaeus? Well, this character in our story today is very significant and unique in Mark's gospel, and here's why. Bartimaeus is the only person who is healed by Jesus whose name was recorded in the gospel of Mark. Many commentators believe his name was specifically recorded because he was well known in the early church as a true follower and personal disciple of Christ. This man, who was an outcast in his society, rejected by many, scorned and looked down upon, encounters Jesus in such a way that thousands of years later we still know his name. Before I get ahead of myself, though, let's continue on as we look at verses 47 and 48 together. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. We've seen throughout our study together that news of Jesus and his miraculous works has spread throughout all of the region. 
Jesus was a common name used in this time. And so the title of Nazareth was added to clarify that this Jesus, the one who came from the nobody town of Nazareth, was unique. Most likely, Bartimaeus was not sitting by the road expecting to come face to face with Jesus of Nazareth. But his reaction to hearing the crowd mention Jesus' name tells us that he had heard many great things and that he truly believed Jesus to be more than just a man from Nazareth, but he believed that this man was truly the Messiah the scriptures had been pointing to all along. And how do we know that? Look at verse Uh, Look at how he responds in verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. If you're taking notes this morning, our first point in our message today is this. Truly seeing Jesus means we will believe that he is the king of kings and lord of lords. These words of Bartimaeus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, might be the most significant words spoken by anyone other than Jesus and the entire gospel of Mark. Jesus, son of David. Not only is this the clearest messianic recognition and acknowledgement made of Jesus in the gospel of Mark, but it comes from the least expected person in this narrative, a blind beggar. Can you see just how incredible this statement really is? An outsider, a nobody, a beggar, a blind beggar at that has been given by God's grace the most significant insight that any person outside of Jesus' disciples have seen yet. Isn't this just how God's kingdom works? The first will be last and the last will be first. This blind man, without ever physically being able to see Jesus do anything, He never witnessed any of his miracles, his miraculous signs. But by God's grace, he had his heart softened and enlightened to have enough faith to truly spiritually see and believe that this man, Jesus, was the fulfillment of the prophecy given to King David a thousand years prior. The covenant that he was the king to come, the son of David, that would finally bring and establish the eternal kingdom of God once and for all. And so now we need to stop and ask ourselves, who do we believe Jesus to be? Have we truly had our eyes open to behold him as the true Davidic king of kings who has established his everlasting kingdom? It's so easy to criticize the disciples and the Pharisees and ask the question, how could they be so blind? How could they be so foolish and so arrogant? What I'm afraid of personally is that because we live in the greatest moment in human history, because we have full, the full revelation of God's word right here in our laps, we are going to be held to an even higher standard of accountability. We really have no excuse for living contrary to this great revelation that has been given to us. Don't forget Jesus' words from Mark 4 during the parable of the sower. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. See, we have the privilege to look back on thousands of years of salvific history, seeing the faithfulness and the promises and covenants made by God kept. Seeing the fulfillment of those promises come to fruition through his son, Jesus. And yet I fear that we often... Don't live like we truly have beheld Christ for who he truly is. How easily do we get discouraged or afraid today? 
What has been our reaction? What has been my reaction during this pandemic? Have we found comfort in knowing that the promised king has come? That he has established his kingdom and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom? That he sits on his throne at the right hand of his father as ruler over all? Do we find comfort in seeing God's faithfulness to his promises as we anticipate the return of this great king? Are we living as though God's kingdom has come? As true servants of the king, knowing that he is coming again and we will give an account for how faithful we have lived under his kingship. May God give us insight like this blind beggar and may he keep us from being blinded by the world. May we keep our eyes fixed on him daily. May he help us to do that. May God grant us mercy. And that is the prayer that God loves to answer And we will see that in this next section. And this is my second point in our message today. Truly seeing Jesus means that we will cry out to him for mercy. Look again with me at verses 47 and 48. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. On me. Can you see the incredible faith in Jesus that Bartimaeus demonstrates here? He is not afraid of the large crowd around him. He does not care of the embarrassment or ridicule that might come from the boisterous yelling. He does not care what the religious leaders might be thinking about the messianic claims he's just shouted towards Jesus for all to hear. All he is concerned about is that the son of David, Jesus, might hear his cry and show him mercy. The crowd ridicules him. It even tries to shut him up, but this just causes him to cry all the louder, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Bartimaeus knew the prophecies of old. He must have clung to the hope found in Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6 where it says of the Messiah to come, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Bartimaeus knew he had nothing to lose here, but by God's grace, he might just gain everything if Jesus would hear his cry for mercy. He was already despised by the world around him. He knew that he was an unworthy sinner. He knew he had no chance of coming to God for forgiveness apart from crying out to him for mercy. Contrary to the attitude of the rich young ruler previously mentioned in Mark 10, Bartimaeus knows that he has no self-righteousness or self-sufficiency, that he has nothing to offer to Jesus that he can hope might grant him acceptance into his kingdom. The rich young ruler walked away because he wanted to follow Jesus by approaching him on his own terms. He couldn't follow him as Lord because he loved his life and his possessions too much. He thought that his own righteousness might be enough for Jesus to accept him. The rich young ruler walked away spiritually blind and disheartened. But this is not what happens to the blind beggar Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus knew that his only hope was mercy. Oftentimes, the ones in this culture who were physically impaired were seen as the worst of sinners. 
judged by God, punished with their malady because of some previous sins they had committed or the great sins previously committed by their parents. People often scorned the physically impaired. They ignored them, daily reminding them of their low place and of their little value in that society. The lowliness, this lowliness and self-recognition brought Bartimaeus one advantage. Bartimaeus had the advantage of humility in which he knew his only hope in finding forgiveness and acceptance into God's kingdom was to cry out to him for mercy, to ask for what he knew he did not deserve, to cling to the hope that is found in Psalm 145 verse 8 that says, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The attitude and heart of Bartimaeus was completely contrary to the prideful and self-reliant heart of the rich young ruler. Here's what Matthew Henry said in his commentary on this passage. Misery is the object of mercy. His own miserable case he recommends to the compassion of the son of David, of whom it was foretold that when he should come to save us, the eyes of the blind should be open and coming to Christ for help and healing, we should have an eye to him as the promised Messiah, the trustee of mercy and grace. Is this how you've come to know Christ? Did you cry out to him for mercy, recognizing your sinfulness and unworthiness? Remember Jesus' words in Mark 2. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Don't fool yourself into thinking that you can come to God any other way. The only way into God's kingdom is through the way of mercy. Have you seen your true state of sinfulness against a holy and righteous God? Don't be blind to your true condition. Christ has his arms open to all who would humbly come to him and simply yet genuinely ask for mercy. But be warned, he will reject all who try to come to him by their own terms and means. Salvation comes by grace alone and through faith alone. And so we recognize that we are unworthy to be cleansed, to be saved. We have no good in us, no righteousness of our own. And yet we humbly ask God that he would be gracious and have mercy on us to save an unworthy sinner. If you've been hoping that your performance will be enough one day to save you, when you stand before the righteous and just King of Kings, I implore you to stop fooling yourself. I need you to pause now. And cry out to him for mercy while you still can. Think if Bartimaeus had not cried out while he had the chance. Think of how different this story would have been. Listen to the words of Psalm 95, 7 through 8. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Repent, turn from your sins and believe that Jesus is the Christ, the King and Lord of all. This place of lowliness and humility is where you will find his mercy waiting for you. Well, now we turn to our final section in this narrative today, where we will see just how Jesus responds to Bartimaeus' cry for mercy. Look with me starting at verse 49 until the end of this section. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, 
let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So here we now see the heart of Jesus demonstrated in his reaction to Bartimaeus' cry for mercy. Verse 49 tells us Jesus stopped and he called him. What a beautiful picture of God's grace displayed here. Jesus stopped and called him. This here is our hope. When we cry out for mercy, Jesus will always stop and hear our request. Jesus' response in authority has shifted the attitude of the crowd. No longer were they rebuking this man and telling him to be quiet. They actually encouraged him by saying, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And look at how Bartimaeus responds. He throws off his cloak. He springs up and runs to Jesus, the one who has answered his cry for mercy. And notice the question that Jesus asked him in verse 52. You guys recognize this question from somewhere else? Yeah, that's right. This exact same question he asked his disciples earlier in chapter 10. But the response to this question is much different than the one Christ's disciples gave him. And can you not hear the humility and love and true servant leadership modeled in Jesus' question? The Messiah, the King of Kings, has stopped to ask this man, the one who is of least value in their society, how he could serve this blind beggar. What do you want me to do for you? Look again with me at verse 51 at how Bartimaeus responds to Jesus' question. And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. This response shows again Bartimaeus' recognition of his unworthiness and his true humility because he calls him rabbi or master and then and only then he implores him to heal his sight. And what is Jesus' response? Well, look one more time with me at verse 52. And Jesus said to him, go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Jesus sees this man's humility and faith. And he responds to his cries for mercy by doing just that, giving Bartimaeus what he does not deserve. Not only restoring his sight, but he gives him salvation. The Greek word used here that we translate to made you well is the word sozo which is predominantly used to mean to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. This most likely is intentionally used by Mark to carry a double significance in Jesus' healing. While Bartimaeus is saved or healed physically, his faith in Jesus as Lord and Messiah has also saved his soul. This is just like the paralytic man lowered down to Jesus in Mark chapter 2. His sins have been forgiven. Mercy has been poured out, not just physically on Bartimaeus, but spiritually as well. And here is why I have confidence in saying that. Because how did Bartimaeus respond to Jesus healing him? It says in verse 52, he recovered his sight. And what did he do? Followed him on the way. This is my third and final point for our message today. Truly seeing Jesus means that we will follow him. If we've truly seen Jesus as the King of kings and Lord of lords, if we've humbly cried out to him for mercy, then our only option will be to follow him. 
When the text says he followed him on the way, it's not just saying that Bartimaeus followed Jesus as he walked, but literally that he became a disciple and true follower of Jesus. This is the only response available for someone who has come to truly see Jesus for who he is. You cannot believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the King of kings and the Lord of lords, cry out to him for mercy and then not follow him. And so church, we have to ask ourselves this question. Is this the response we've had after experiencing God's mercy, his full forgiveness of sins freely given to those who have asked it of him? I often have had to stop and wonder if my life really reflects the life of a true Christ follower. Have you stopped to examine yourself lately? What are the evidences in your life that prove that you truly follow Christ? Did Christ really save us just so we might go to church every Sunday? Or is there something more, something greater to be found in following him as King of kings and Lord of lords? For our only evidence that we follow Christ is that we attend service on Sundays. We might be deceiving ourselves. Following Jesus means that we are no longer our own masters over our lives. That Jesus is Lord. That we submit our complete and total lives under him. Imagine if Bartimaeus sat back down and began begging again as if he hadn't just encountered this life-changing, overwhelming grace and mercy of God over his life. You might say that would be ridiculous. And then we have to ask ourselves, but don't we do that very thing? Bartimaeus' life was forever changed. He was a new man. No longer was he a blind beggar. He was a disciple of the merciful Messiah. Church, is that true of you today? Is this true of me? Do we truly follow Christ? Now, of course, we don't do this perfectly, and that's not my point. My point is this. Do we even care? Are we regularly seeking after Christ and continuing to ask him for more daily mercy, that he would continue to work in us and make us more like himself, that, we would, that he would help us get our gaze off of ourselves and onto him? These are the marks, the evidences of a true disciple. Matthew Henry says again in his commentary on this section, After he was healed, by this he evidenced the grateful sense he had of Christ's kindness to him. That when he had his sight, he made use of it. It is not enough to come to Christ for spiritual healing, but, but when we are healed, we must continue to follow him. That we may do honor to him and receive instruction from him. Those that have spiritual eyesight see that beauty in Christ that will effectually draw them to run after him. I'm afraid that some of us might have eagerly come to Christ wanting his mercy, an easy way out from hell, but we are not willing to follow him with our lives. Like the nine ungrateful lepers who Jesus healed in the Gospel of Luke, we get what we want from Jesus and then we walk away as if he was just a stepping stone for a more comfortable and secure life. No, Jesus is life itself. There is no life apart from knowing and truly following him. Bartimaeus could see this, but can we? Nothing could ever make Bartimaeus go back to his previous way of life. Why then are we so easily prone to do just that? 
Remember the sobering words of Jesus recorded in Mark chapter 8, where he says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Following Jesus means living a life of self-denial. We must be willing to daily surrender to his Lordship and say, Not my will, but yours be done. No longer do we run to sin, but we desire to run from it. No longer do we place ourselves as most important, but now we live our lives in a manner that is worthy of our calling, that is pleasing to the Lord. When he convicts us of sin, we no longer ignore it. We repent and turn from it because we have seen and met the mercy and forgiveness of the King of Kings. We cannot say that we have come to know Christ and then remain as if we never truly encountered him. If we aren't following Christ in our lives, it is because we haven't truly seen him. Christ Jesus willingly went to the cross on our behalf, bore the wrath of God that we deserved, took our sins upon himself, traded to us his righteousness so that we could experience true healing, full forgiveness of sins, his mercy and grace. He came to save sinners and to give them a new heart, fullness of life. Is this not enough for us to want to fully follow him with all of our lives? Why then would we live a life contrary to a life that is pleasing to him? I don't want to compartmentalize my life. I want Christ to have all of it. I want to have the faith and insight of the blind man Bartimaeus. I want to continually and truly see Jesus as King of kings and Lord of all. I want to continue to truly approach him in humility and to continually cry out to him for mercy. I want to truly follow Jesus with every part of me. And I hope that you do as well. Would you please um, pray with me? Father, we um, come so short. We fall so short daily of bringing you glory that you deserve. And Lord, our only hope is mercy. Our only cry is mercy. Because we recognize how often we do fall short. And Lord, I wish that uh, my heart would be more uh, alive and enlightened by this text. And I pray the same for this church here. That you would help us to see how low you placed yourself by coming to this earth, Jesus, and serving those who did not deserve to be served by you. Lord, help us to see our true state as this man, Bartimaeus. We, we are no different um, spiritually, we have been blind apart from your grace, opening our eyes to see you as Lord of all. And so, Lord, I pray in this season even that, that we would be a uh, testimony to the world around us that this world is not our home, that our hope is not in our government and our leaders, but our hope is in the King of kings and Lord of lords. And his name is Jesus, the one who is full of mercy and grace to those who ask him. 
And so, Lord, we ask that um, as we go to respond to this text, that you would um, be gentle and gracious to us like you are. That even though we'll see that we fall short, that you would pick us up. That you would encourage us, that you would help us to get our eyes back on you if we've drifted away from you. Lord, we don't want to be foolish and and, uh, return back to our way of life that we formerly were before we knew you. But we want to live into the new man that you've created us to be. So Lord, I pray now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. You have said in your word that as we gather together to sing your praises, to sing the truth of your word, to hear your word preached, that you would use that to fill us with your spirit, to empower us to go and live out this life that we cannot live apart from your grace. And so Lord, now we ask, please do that in this time. Please encourage the church through these words. Please draw sinners to repentance if there are some in this room or watching online who have not come to see you as King of kings and Lord of lords, who have not uh, repented from their sin. Lord, that you would have mercy on them now, that you would humble them to cry out to you, that you would save them. Lord, we want to see you work in that way in this place, in this area. We want to see you save sinners like you have saved so many here in this room. Lord, let us be burdened like you were burdened for those who uh, were outcasts, who were not seen as worthy in this society. Lord, help us to uh, not have our eyes fixed on ourselves, but look at the world around us, see those who are suffering, who are afraid, who are hurting, and help us, Lord, to uh, share the hope of the gospel with them that um, you, through through using us, could open their eyes to uh, find a hope in this time that seems so dark. Lord, we love you. We thank you for um, your grace over us again. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.